Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would, turn with me to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, and by the end of tonight, we will have walked through the first 20 verses of that chapter. We won't read it all in one, one uh, go through. We're going to make our way through it as we go. Um, as you know, I, well, it's actually been a while, so maybe, maybe you don't remember. Uh, we've, we've taken some time off of Genesis now, and so let me just remind you the series that we're in. It's not really a verse-by-verse going through every single verse in the book of Genesis, though maybe one day God will have that for us. Instead, we are looking at particular stories uh, throughout Genesis, which I think there are threads um, woven through Genesis and, and these passages which we're looking at, the thread touches on. Um, and by thread, I mean a theme, a theme woven throughout the book, and we stop and, and look at some stories that might be touching on one of those threads. Um, so a couple of reasons why I picked Genesis 21, verses 1 through 20. Um, firstly, I think there's a thread <laughs> that runs through it, a theme in Genesis. And I'm not going to actually tell you what that is at first. Um, I will towards the end, and I'm curious if maybe you can find it before I say it. And so um, try to figure that out before I mention it, and I'll uh, maybe give you a, an opportunity to, to throw a few guesses out. And hey, you might even hit on a, a thread or a theme in the passage that we read that's also woven through the rest of the book that I didn't see. Um, that'd, be, that'd be amazing. But I'll give you a few, uh, an opportunity later on to maybe throw out your guesses of what might be the theme in this passage, which is also found elsewhere in the book. Uh, so there's a thread, I think, in this passage. But secondly, I picked this passage because there's a lot of encouragement in it for the weary soul. And I know that there are many who are weary. Um, and, and I know, actually, just statistically speaking, now is a common time for many to find themselves very weary um, I don't know exactly what is the correlation, but maybe it's just seasonal depression, time change, darkness, uh, whatever it might be, but I know um, that many find themselves in clouds of discouragement, and uh, this passage, I think, lifts up our souls, and so if you're weary or discouraged or tired, uh, may you take courage because the truths that you will hear in this passage uh, and there are actually three encouragements that I'd like to give you out of this passage this evening. And we're going to spend the larger amount, the larger majority of our time this evening looking at those three encouragements. The first one, <clears throat> I think, is found in the first eight verses. That is, here's your first encouragement, God's gifts bring joy. God's gifts bring joy. And, uh, and that's true for you. It's true for me. God loves to give us gifts, and in those gifts, supply us with abundant joy. Abundant joy. Let me read the first eight verses here. Genesis 21, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah, 
I think we've got it on the screen. Okay. The Lord visited Sarah, and he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have nursed children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. We'll stop there for a minute. We're going to continue on in just a little bit. But the first encouragement that I just want to give you out of this passage is that God's gifts bring joy. God's gifts bring joy. Think, Sarah conceived, birthed, and then nursed at the age of 90. Conceived, birthed, and then, conceived, and, then, and then nursed a child at the age of 90. Now, I just want to give us, if you don't already have a, like a framework just to, to comprehend that, let me maybe put this into today's language. This would be the equivalent of this year reading on CNN that a woman who was born in 1932, the front end of the Great Depression, has just given birth to a son and she has every intention to nurse that child. And she was born in 1932. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. It's incredible. And we actually know that at this time, it's believed that oftentimes mothers would nurse for three years, if possible, um, as Infant mortality was high, and so as much um, nutrients as you could get into the child's body, the better. And of course, breastfeeding offers um, a, a high dose of nutrients. And so um, many women would try to nurse as long as possible, three years often. Uh, so just think, a woman born in 1932, nursing for three years <laughs> right now. After giving birth to that child, this would certainly hit national news, international news. It would be in the Guinness Book of World Records, no doubt. And I, I think it's really interesting, and in, in even just the first verse, in chapter 21, verse, verse 1, just looking at that, we can see that there are no empty promises with God. God gives promises of good gifts, and He will indeed supply them. Just notice that the Lord visited Sarah as he said, as he had said he would. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised he would. So do you just see God doesn't provide empty promises, but fulfilled promises? And so you and I may just take that and run with that, that we should study the word, we should know the word, soak up all the promises in the word, because God is not a God of empty promises. He provides 
all that he says he will provide. So, how incentivizing it is for you and I then to know his word and know his promises and cling to them, especially in hard times. And so, God promises he would provide Sarah a child at the age of 90, a miracle, and he actually does it. And what's his, what's her response? Laughter, right? It's laughter. She laughs. And this isn't the first time that in this whole childbearing situation that, that, that she laughs. We know in chapter 18 in Genesis, whenever she's overhearing God speak to Abraham, she, she hears them through the window that God says, yeah, hey, and Sarah's going to bear you a child. And this is the first time where she starts laughing, just thinking of the ridiculousness of what she just heard. So she laughed in chapter 18 when she heard about it. And then when it actually came about, here in chapter 21, verse 6, she laughs again. And this time, obviously not because she thought it would be ridiculous, <laughs> because here she is holding a baby. This time it had to have been more, maybe just high emotions and disbelief. Have you ever, have you ever been so emotionally overwhelmed that what you're doing on the outside isn't a good reflection of what is going on in the inside Maybe you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. My, my sister, whenever she gets very uncomfortable, she un- un- uncontrollably laughs. She just can't stop laughing. And uh, she can't get a grip. She'll just laugh and laugh and laugh because she's so uncomfortable um, in the situation, whether it be just awkward or high tensions. If she's in an argument, she just can't stop laughing. And um, Sarah can testify, it's true. And... Um, I think many, it's maybe more common if you get so angry, you start crying. Anybody? Or you just get so angry, you start crying, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not sad, I'm mad. And it's just because we're just so overwhelmed with emotions that actually you start maybe displaying the signs of a, an emotion you're actually not feeling, but you're just so overwhelmed with emotions in general. I think that might be where Sarah is. She's so overwhelmed with disbelief and, and joy Eh, well, I guess joy is fitting with laughter, but she's just in absolute disbelief. And she starts laughing. I think that's a really good picture of how God, God's gifts bring immense and incredible joy to our lives. Obviously, we know the greatest joy is salvation. So God's gifts bring us joy. That's the first encouragement. I just want you to treasure that. If you're in a dark time right now, if you're really suffering in sorrow, God's gifts to you today bring immense joy. The second thing is God's plans prevail. God's plans prevail. Let me read read the next few verses there, verses 9 through 11. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham. He was laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, Isaac. Verse 11, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the account of his son, talking about Ishmael. So, 
Sarah mishandled a really bad situation. Whenever she saw Ishmael, the son of Hagar, laughing, she lost it. And she wanted to send him out into exile, him and his mom. Now, let me, let me address for a second um, Ishmael laughing because that actually can be interpreted a few different ways. It could actually mean that he was playing, joyfully playing. That, that word there, laughing, could mean playing. And if so, why would she get so angry? Well, it's possible that she just had this prideful elitism. She sees him, and she thinks in verse 10, he has no part in being with my son. My son should be, have nothing to do with him. And so she sees him laughing, sees him playing, sees him joyful, and she wants none of it. I think more the likely is that when she saw Ishmael laughing, it doesn't mean that he was playing. Actually, that word can be understood as mocking, the laughing at somebody. I think that's probably what is happening here. She saw Ishmael probably laughing either at Isaac, maybe, and maternal instinct comes up. Mama bear comes out. She sees him laughing at Isaac, and she said, get him out of here. Get him out of here. So, mama bear instinct is a good thing, yes? Maternal instinct is a good thing, but it led to her being fine with him going out and dying in the desert. Not, not a good thing, right? Not, not okay. I think we can learn a lesson here. Let me apply this to your life, to my life. You may be right in your frustration, whatever it may be about. You may be right in your frustration, and yet still in the wrong in how you handle it. And I don't know if that maybe lands on any of you. You may be right in your opinion, but wrong in how you're handling it. I think we all need to reflect on these things. That was certainly Sarah in that moment. She was right to protect her son, but she was never justified in exiling Hagar and Ishmael that they might die in the desert. If we don't like what our brothers and sisters do, we're never justified in responding with evil. And so, our instruction, I guess, there in that, as we see Sarah's example, is May we not let our correct opinions be tarnished because of our wrong responses. Right? So Ishmael's laughing. He's probably mocking Isaac. But regardless of what Ishmael is doing, I think the author of Genesis wants you to see something about Sarah. Do you see in verse 6, Sarah is what? Do you see it? Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. So she's laughing. She's finding great joy. And then she sees somebody else doing what? Laughing. And she says, get them out of here. I, I, think, I think the author wants us to see something here. I think it's natural for us to want for ourselves, but be unhappy to see when other people have it and are flourishing with it. 
I think it's just so natural in you and I to want for self, but be discontent, jealous, and frustrated when others have and are flourishing with it. But I think let us now reflect on Christ and learn from His example To be like Christ is that even in your suffering in time of pain, may we still celebrate that others aren't, right? Christ died on the cross that we wouldn't have to. And so even if we're suffering, even if we're in a time of pain and sorrow, may we celebrate when other people aren't. I think that's what Christ would do here, and Sarah certainly didn't live that out. So Sarah mishandled a bad situation, but what was my second point here? My encouragement to you is that God's plan prevails. And we can read the next few verses. So she sees Ishmael laughing. She says, get him out of here. I want nothing to do with him or his mother. And yet still God's plan prevails over Sarah's sin. Let me read verses 12 and 13. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. Let's pause right there. You see what happened? Sarah wanted, Sarah wanted something terrible to take place. And God says, <laughs> she won't have the final word, Abraham. My plan for Ishmael, the son you love, It's going to prevail. You see, God loves to bring good out of the evil and malicious plans of other people. Jonah couldn't stifle God's plan to reach Nineveh. We were talking about it this morning in Sunday school. Jonah couldn't stifle God's plan to reach Nineveh. The Jewish leaders couldn't stifle God's plan for Jesus to be lifted up. In fact, their very way of trying to fight that is what actually led to it. Slanderers can't stifle God's plan to keep His church unified and pure, no matter how hard they try. And here in this passage, Sarah can't stifle God's plan for Hagar and Ishmael to receive blessing. God's plan prevails. Now that's, that's, that's comforting, isn't it? It it is to me. When we're in Hagar's shoes, when we're wronged, misrepresented, slandered, abused, talked bad about, that hurts. And still, we can say, I know God's got my back. Right? Let Let me read Psalm 59 here. I was just, I was thinking about it today. This could certainly be the words of Hagar. It could be the words of you and I. Psalm 59, verses 1 through 10. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me for no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine. They run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord, God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. 
Each evening they come back howling like dogs, prowling in the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, you laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God and His steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. God's plan prevails. And this is comfort for those who are in Hagar's shoes. No enemy can stifle God's plan for blessing. And, so yes, if you're in Hagar's shoes, be comforted. Your enemy's plan will not prevail. God's will. But I think it's also comforting for you and I when we're in Sarah's shoes. Okay? Because we're not always the victim, are we? Sometimes we're the aggressor. Right? And that's true. It's comforting to know that when we make mistakes, when we hurt somebody else, when we do some self-reflection and we realize we didn't represent Christ very well in that moment, we can still say, I know God is great, a lot greater than even my dumb self. Right? God prevails even beyond my mistakes. Think about this. As far as we know, Sarah never saw her victims. And I'm calling Hagar and Ishmael her victims because they sent them out to their death. As far as we know, she never saw them again to make things right. For blessed with that opportunity. Actually, sorry, they, they, they do come back a little bit later. But she didn't know that she would see them again. She didn't know. But she was blessed with the opportunity to see them again and make things right. We don't know if she did. If we're blessed with that opportunity, we should certainly take it. My second encouragement to you is that God's plan prevails for you. And no enemy that faces you can stifle that. And that's true for our church as well. The third encouragement that I have for the weary soul this evening is not only that God, God's gifts bring us good joy and God's plans prevail, but thirdly, God's provisions are enough. God's provisions are enough for you. Let me, let me read the last few verses here, 14 through I think 21. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went, sat down opposite him in a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and he said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation." 
Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and she filled the skin with water, and she gave the boy a drink, and God was with the boy, and he grew up, and he lived in the wilderness, and he became an expert with the bow. Stop there. Is this not a beautiful image for the gospel? Is it, is it not a beautiful image of how God meets us, not literally in a desert, but spiritually? You see, without Jesus, we are in a metaphoric desert, a wasteland waiting to die. And He meets us, He provides living water, and tells us that He has a good plan for our future. Praise God. Praise God. And actually, and this is the hard part you might not like to hear because we don't like to think about it. It's through their hardship that they learn to trust God's love for them more than they ever knew before. It's through the desert, isn't it? It's through the desert that their appreciation for God's provisions deepened. You know, in the moment, we obviously despise our hardships. But more often than not, in hindsight, it's that very season when God's goodness becomes most known and cherished. So, I guess, as you just think on this, could it just be, truly, could it be that your hardship now is God's plan, is God's plan for you so that He can prove to you that He provides in all seasons. Could it be? It was for Hagar. It was for Ishmael. So, these are my three encouragements from this passage. I think they really are, if you just meditate on them, so powerful. God's gifts bring joy. Weary person tired person. God is a fountain of joy for you today. If things are bleak and you feel like the enemy is scheming against you, God's plan prevails and always wins. If you're hanging on by a thread, God meets you there. And he will provide all that you need. God gives good gifts of joy. His plans always prevail, no matter who is against you. And his provisions are always enough. Now, those are my three points from the passage. Now to the the last bit before we're done, the thread. I have to mention it. The thread the theme in Genesis that ran, I think, through this text. It, 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 it dipped down and wove through the text. What do you think it was? Exile. Exile. In Scripture, we see, and actually even leading up to Genesis 21, we see it multiple times. We see Adam and Eve were banished from the garden because they ate the fruit, sent out to no longer be in there. Cain, just one chapter later, was banished to wander and be a fugitive because he murdered Abel. 
Let me read that. Genesis 4, if you want to write it down. Verse 13 and 14, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. Sounds like exile. And from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Adam and Eve, exiled. Cain, exiled. Abraham, he did the exiling in Genesis 21, but he was exiled in Genesis 12. Out of Egypt. He went to Egypt and he lied to Pharaoh and said, oh yeah, that's my sister. You can have her. A man's man. And Pharaoh finds out because the Lord interceded and he says, what have you done? You lied to me. Take her and go. And actually, Pharaoh even instructed some men to go and make sure that Abraham left the country. Abraham was exiled. I think Hagar was the only one here who was unjustly exiled, though. Who was only unjustly exiled. The others were deserving of it, right? It was just, it was right. Two of them, two of the exiles, were from God Himself, exiling Adam and Eve and Cain. And Pharaoh was certainly in the right, exiling Abraham. Hagar, though, it was unfair, it was unjust. It was from the malicious heart of her leader, Sarah. So let me apply this to us as we're wrapping up. Lest you thought so, (laughs) you're not Hagar. He was wronged. And God is not the unjust Sarah. The reality is that for all of us, myself included, all of us are much more like Adam and Eve who disregard the authority of God. Cain, when he wrongs his brother and sister, brother or sister in Christ, right? You and I. Abraham, when we fear man more than we fear God. And so therefore, we deserve exile from God's good presence. You and I do. We do. But here's the gospel, and I want to end on the gospel. Even in our justified exile, God doesn't forget us but he found a way to bring us back out of exile. And that's the good God that we serve. He brought Israel out of Babylon in triumphant salvation. The father welcomes back the prodigal son with much grace and open arms. And Paul says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we might return to good standing with God. So thank God for his loving kindness towards those who deserve exile. That's the theme that I saw in here, is exile. Our God does exile from his presence, but he also provides a way to return. And that's the gospel that we believe in and we proclaim to people who need to hear it as well. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 